Welcome to Episode 8 of the WP Campus Podcast, a podcast for those using WordPress in higher education. One brief programming note, this podcast has been on a short hiatus over the last couple of months, and we've been doing a little reorganizing behind the scenes. Uh, my name is Brian DeConnick, and with my colleague Jen McFarland at NC State University, uh, we will be your primary hosts moving forward. We're hoping to release one episode every month, so stay tuned. Our guest today is Shane Perlman. He's a partner with Modern Tribe, and uh, he has a lot of experience working with WordPress and higher education. He took the lead in facilitating the WP Campus WordPress and Education Survey in the month of May, and he's joining us today to talk about the results and how WordPress fits in with the uh, overall higher ed landscape. So Shane, welcome. Good morning. So uh, just to get things started, uh, as you uh, put together the survey, what were you thinking about? What were you trying to do? What was the, the big picture goal of all of this? Sure. Uh, to be fair, it was a lot of the same reasons that drove us to write a white paper on the use of WordPress in higher ed. And that was when we started working with higher ed customers, uh, I mean, Five, six years ago, it was a bit of the avant-garde, and so people who reached out to us had already decided on WordPress and wouldn't have to do that fight. On the other hand, over the last three or four years, as momentum has grown and interest has grown, it's not uncommon for me to have somebody reach out on Slack or by email and say, look, we're really interested in using WordPress on campus. A small subset of us are. But we don't really have the information and the leverage to make the argument institutionally. And so anything you have that can help me make this argument internally, that can help combat some of the misnomers, that can educate where it's important, that can even just figure out basic things like what kind of skill sets we need and how do we want to use it. Um, and so over the last year or two, I've been working with a number of different people to start to create that body of information that can help people make the case institutionally. And uh, do you think you uh, gathered that kind of information? I, I think there's a lot. I mean, first of all, we had an amazing response group. I, I, last, so last year, uh, University of Denver, uh, I think it was November, did a CMS survey, and I was blown away that they got 130 universities to reply. I was like, this is an amazing data set. So, I had a secret little hidden goal. I'm like, we got to get more than them just, just to see if we can do it. I never imagined we'd get 486 respondents. There's, you know, there's so many organizations out there that are apparently using WordPress um, on campus today. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think we've got just the number alone is is mind-boggling. But then to see how they're using it and the kinds of things they're doing with it is is really inspiring. And that's uh, 486 respondents. How many universities? How many institutions do you have represented? Yeah, let me pull that up. Uh, I'll go look. We the breakdown was. Uh, sorry, there were a lot. Of, not just that. We had 486 people who answered 50 questions. Like, this was not one of these, like, lighthearted <laughs> surveys of, like, well, do you have it or do you not like it? This was this was a monster. And so the commitment people showed was fantastic. So out of 486, uh, 204 were public college or universities, publicly funded. Mm -hmm. 113 were private college or, or universities. We had 10 professional schools, professional schools being medical schools, law schools, uh, business schools. We had 29 community colleges reply, 14 technical and trade schools, 41 public K-12 schools, 19 private K-12 schools, and 56 were under other or declined to reply. So yeah, there's probably a lot of overlap of the same institutions within that information, but it's still extremely valid because, as I can tell you and Brian can tell you, since we're both at NC State, which is a massive institution with multiple groups within the NC State arena doing web stuff. We happen right. to do it for our IT group, but the marketing group at our university does it, and then several departments have their own as well. So I think it, it's, if anything, just a reflection of how many different unique uh, groups there are who have chosen WordPress among the different higher ed groups. So Absolutely. And, and there are a number of 
I chose the word campuses as my default word intentionally as opposed to universities because in a because lot we're WP of, campus. Yeah, it wasn't just because of that. I mean, in our case, you know, as an agency, for example, we have three customers at Stanford who have nothing to do with each other. They're completely yeah. unrelated organizations. You know, it's like a, and we have the same. I mean, to be fair, that is true of any huge organization. Like, I have a lot of people who are like, wow. What's it like to have eBay as a customer? And I'm like, well, having eBay as a customer is like having a small state as a customer. You know, the number of different groups and agendas and stakeholders and the fact that they don't even know they exist. Like, I know. It's kind of depressing sometimes, but yes. Yeah. And so a lot of times, you know, it's, yes, technically Stanford's a customer, but really it's Jen. And they have their own journeys that, that we facilitate. Yeah. So when you're looking at that diverse of a group, um, I guess you're going to run into a lot of variation, a lot of a lot of different experiences with WordPress. And uh, I guess one of the things I was really interested in was um, one of the early questions you asked about why WordPress wasn't being used on campus. Uh, you know the the circumstances in which it it wasn't accepted and the answers were were not too surprising. You had security, and it's a just a blogging platform, and things like that. Um, I guess, based on your experience working with all these different customers, and then based on some of the free response questions that you had with all this this variety of uh, uh, institutions represented in the survey, what kind of case do you think you would build now for WordPress? What you know when you're when you're thinking about the white paper you wrote, when you're thinking about uh, uh, moving forward with, with WordPress and higher ed, what is the case you build for WordPress? Sure. And, and so there's the case for, and there's, there's answering some of those common detractor um, issues. And um, the case for WordPress is interesting. And it's really like, so we, we did ask one question. So question eight was, what were the core factors in choosing WordPress? Like, for this audience, why'd you go here? And, and the answer, I mean, there was, lot of answers, but on a, a bell curve, the the very, very clear winners, like the answers that over 50% of people chose, um, that it's open source. Uh, I can tell you from other survey sources, as well as ours and things, um, open sharing of information is at the heart of the educational institutional business. Right. It's, it's, it's lifeblood. Yeah. So, yeah. There's no surprise over time that open source has slowly and finally moved to truly dominate. Um, if you actually tie Drupal and WordPress usage together, they make up well over 85% of all university CMS platforms. Um, so open source is sort of a dominant feature. So that was one. Yeah, it's either the culture and or the lack of money. But between those two, yes, <laughs> that makes for a big, big chunk. A huge part. So uh, the the number one winner, and this is WordPress, to be even fair, WordPress versus Drupal, ease of use. Yeah. Use is plastered everywhere across the survey. In fact, it was really funny. I, um, Ryan, you'd asked one question, which was, um, hey, in the, in the text answers. So there were a number of questions where, like, hey, if you have more to say, go ahead and say more. Like, carry on. And, Turns out people had a lot to say. Um, and so I read like hundreds and hundreds of these text answers. You turn into a WordPress therapist? Yeah. Well, and so one of the questions was sort of like, hey, out of curiosity, is, is WordPress working like uniquely well for you anyway? Like just in all the realm of problems and challenges that you face as a person, is WordPress like kicking butt anywhere in particular? And there were 300 some odd answers in there. And I searched for the word easy. And over 80% of the answers contain the word easy. That's fantastic. Like, it's all over the place. It's easy for development, easy, but most of it, like dominantly most of it is, it is easy for people to manage their own content. We release the hordes of our content people, our students, our faculty, onto the system, and our training budgets went down, and engagement went up, and that's because people could figure it out. And now, to be fair, whether that's because WordPress is actually easier 
or whether it's become so ubiquitous and available in the common world that by the time people show up in the university, they've already used it before, so they've been pre-trained. I don't know. Uh, I believe it's easier, but I'm biased. Yeah. <laughs> so are we, because we had a, a Drupal and a WordPress environment here, and I, I will not lie, I was the WordPress person and someone else was the Drupal person, so I was always on that side. But I definitely, we, we've seen the same issues with respect to it being considered much easier to use, and then you have better, like you said, engagement, and then people are actually updating the website, and then the website, people do more with it, and then they're more interested in it, and they want to update it more often, and that's all super important. Yeah. Jen, Jen knows all about our uh, our own <laughs> IT website and its uh, many orphaned pages when we were in Drupal and how like just nobody wanted to go in there. Nobody wanted to mess with that. So uh, m when we made the switch to WordPress, um, yeah, <laughs> life got better for everybody. <laughs> it's its own scary little case story, <laughs> case study. Yeah. Well, I, I will pick that up with you because I'd like to hear it. I mean, for us, realistically, on the ease of use, it's a quantifiable dollar number because we used to develop in all kinds of CMSs. I mean, I, this is we've been around well over 10 years as a company, and we've released a lot of Joomla sites into the world and CMSMS and Drupal and a variety of frameworks. And what we tended to find was almost inevitably, sometime between nine months and a year after we released a site, the customer would come back and be like, so the only person who could figure out how to use this system just moved to another department. <laughs> could you train us all over again? Except on our WordPress projects. And it didn't happen on WordPress. We would get a call that was like, hey, we got next year's funding in place. We want these new fancy features. Could we work on that? And man, those are so much better calls to get as a yes. company. Yes, and we get those we too, get which is great. Yeah. And there was, so for us, it was an economic advantage. Yeah, you guys probably monetize it a lot more than we do because that's, that's not really our bag. But if anything, you probably get more accurate information that way rather than sort of word of mouth kind of situations where, yeah, we go and reach out at the beginning of the new fiscal year, so happy new fiscal year, everybody, um, and talk about that stuff. And they're like, yeah, this is working great. We think we want to do this X, Y, and Z cool stuff, which we think right. we can because um, we're using it. And, yeah, it's nice. So uh, ease of use. Um, the other one, uh, over 70% of people, uh, extensibility and flexibility. The, and, and when I looked through the text responses, the number of people were like, God, I used to have to wait months to get something. Now, a lot of times, if I just want a graph, I can just go ask, and somebody's like, great, there's a plugin that does that. Thwap, and now I have my graph. Now, whether that, you know, each development environment has its own workflow and teams have their own process and availability, I'm not making promises. But you know the the nimbleness and the availability of development was a huge response set. Same with development cost and speed. That was they were those were neck and neck, which to me are the same variations of the uh, mm -hmm. the answer. And then there's tons of other ones. A lot of people value WordPress multi-site. Forty percent of people said that was a big impact. Forty percent of people said cost was a big impact. Um, though engagement of the WordPress community and the fact that there's a ton of availability of online support. And As this will be available online support in the future. Right. So, so we're just 37 and 36% on those. Accessibility at 30%. There's a big one. And scalability at 30%. So there's a lot. Some of these are lower, which surprised me. Like I expected SEO to be higher. WordPress does so well with SEO natively compared to other CMS platforms. See, to me, that seems like evidence of you working outside of higher education, because in my experience, having worked on both sides, because I do right. contract work outside, it's, it's all the folks outside the university who are super hyped up about search engine optimization. I'm sure that plenty of people who are listening to this will be like, no, SEO is really important for us too. But our clients, it's definitely not at the top of their list. It's like once right. or twice a year, they'll be like, hey, analytics, we should look into that and maybe do something about it. It's so true. kind of an afterthought for us. Yeah. The, the oh, other side oh, of that, though, Jen, is we, is we are... All right, go ahead, Shane. Go ahead, Brian. No, I, I was just going to say, the other side of that, though, Jen, is we do work for the biggest university in North Carolina, so there is a degree to which... People just find us? 
yeah, people just know where we are. So uh, I wonder if smaller colleges, it, SEO is a bigger concern. Um, you know, I will, I will even push back on that. I, this is an outsider looking in. Y'all could tell me I'm totally wrong. I will respect that. But I, I talk to a lot of universities, a lot of different educational institutions. And five years ago, the word marketing was a dirty word. Like, I would be warned away from using that word in customer conversations because it would upset people. That is not the same. Now, I'm starting to see marketing departments. I'm seeing, sorry, I'm starting to see social department. You know, like, people are talking about social as a practical tool on a regular basis. They're talking about how do I have customer conversations? How do I engage? And the number of people who are starting to come to us for projects who now really actively are looking and talking about their analytics or talking about pipeline or talking about how do I reach the right person to get them into at the right time of year, um, that's changing compared to how it was even two, three years ago. That's actually encouraging to me because, I mean, I was in early on the social train and it was slow to come I feel like to our campus, and it's like again, it's like an afterthought for people. So I, I embrace the idea that that's changing. That would be fantastic. Yeah. I and you're right, like you said, WordPress is already there and it's ready to go with that. So I could probably go on this all day. Uh, let me answer real quick on the other side of it. Some of the big like why WordPress is getting resistance, and there are a few that are super legit, and there are some that, to be fair are historical artifacts that probably people need to let go of. So the, it's a blogging platform is probably one of the more common ones I hear that's just wrong. I mean, it's, <laughs> so, it's so wrong. Um, and, and you don't even, like, you could just look at the state of the word uh, that Matt gives, where he gives the percentages of how people use their sites at this point. The use of WordPress as a CMS globally exceeds the use of it just as a blog. Yep. Um, even using it as what he calls an application platform, which is, like, we do a lot of this. We build software that happens to be powered in part by WordPress on a regular basis. This could be complex content delivery for ed classroom education. Um, we've built a lot of software on WordPress where WordPress, you know, it, it doesn't look anything like a marketing website or blog platform at all. And I think that's 15, 20% of the use of WordPress in the market these days. I could be, don't quote me on that one. I think I could be wrong because I'm pulling from memory. Um, no, but I'm, I'm with you on that one too. That's, it's when somebody comes to our group, and again, we're an IT group, if there's a way to solve a problem with WordPress rather than doing some sort of custom application or some other, you know, code writing, especially in higher education, I feel like, because, you know, you could write something and somebody leaves and the, the maintenance and overhead of a custom app is ten times what it is in WordPress. We can all figure out how somebody made an application work in WordPress. Like, so it's, uh, that's one of the huge strengths for it too, yeah. So, so the, this sort of, it's a blogging platform, people like, the, there's enough information to debunk that in one session that, that you should just debunk it if it comes up because it's, it's plain old wrong. Yeah. Um, Makes you want to pat one, somebody on the head and be like, "No, really, let's let's revisit this." Welcome to 2016. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so that's one. Number two, probably the next most common one that I hear is, "Well, WordPress doesn't do enterprise or it doesn't scale." Um, and so with that one, there's there's kind of like, and, and you can see it in the data here. Like, it's really interesting. I'll even just tell you guys. Let me go find the answer. To this. Let me go find this question. I, I will give my answer as my experience, but sometimes I will let the data speak for itself. Um, so that's... Well, I was going to jump in and just say the other reason that I know is out there is for security while you're looking that up. Um, yeah. And security is a, a big deal. In fact, it's something that we just added to. We have a basics WordPress basics class, and then we have a WordPress security class. Because security is, is kind of the buzzword on our campus anyway, but also because we've seen sites that um, we have a cPanel service out there where people can just install WordPress, and they do. And then they leave it out there, and they don't update it, and then it becomes a problem. So it's kind of a priority for us to, you know, say, yeah, there's some security involved here, but once you do it, you know, if you can do some base level things, you're really solving your problem, and it's not, it's not that it's not an issue, you have to be aware of it, but it, this should not be a reason for you not to use WordPress. Right, and, and, right. and ultimately it comes down to, like, just like content, you know, it's not a thing that you can just leave and forget, it's something you actually have to take an active role in maintaining, right. and it's not that hard if you just get into good habits. Yep. 
So, so with WordPress security, there's when we talk about sort of debunking, there's two factors. First of all, it's a legitimate complaint. So oh, sure. Yeah. Fair. It's a real thing. Like, yeah. the largest CMS in the world, it is a target. Yes. There's a lot of young Chinese and Russian teenagers who really want to get Ooh. in here. <laughs> sorry if I'm calling out countries, but I can see where most of the hacking comes from. Um, so how does that address? Well, first of all, WordPress core itself is really, really pretty secure. We have a lot of amazing developers who are focused on the security core team as well as the community. We're constantly patching things, which is why updating your version of WordPress is really important. Mm -hmm. Number one, step zero. It's bugged out very long. Uh, a lot of times, if you go on the internet and you start Googling for WordPress core security vulnerabilities, what you'll really find is a glut of things from 2009. So 2008, 2009, WordPress went through this evolutionary arc from a blogging platform to CMS, and that was the year where the hackers discovered WordPress and they just destroyed it. <laughs> and the community learned a good lesson, and they responded and said, wow, we probably should pay attention to the security thing, and then began a long, sweeping reform process, which really most of the work was done in 2009. But since then, WordPress core itself is quite secure. I mean, it's running some of the largest sites in the world. Mm -hmm. But real risk for, for security, we have found, comes from a few places. In fact, we have a few questions on security here, and we've asked, I'll, I'll jump to it in a minute, um, that sort of asks, hey, if you've ever actually had an intrusion and you figured out what caused it, what was it? Here, I'll, I'll scan down. It's, I, I gotta find it. It's like in the, here we go. Have you ever had a security breach? And if so, were you able to identify what caused it? And so it's really interesting. Of the people who had security breaches, the largest majority, 26% of them, were because of compromised user accounts, stolen yeah. passwords, bad user habits. And, and this is the reason why we did the training classes, because we realized, too, that a lot of the problems are with the end users not knowing what they should do. So even though security is somewhat of an advanced topic in some ways, a lot of what you can do, a whole lot of what you can do is is at the basic user level. Right. And, and a lot of that, I'm seeing universities solve that problem very, very simply, because one of the things we also see is there's a lot of adoption of single sign-on solutions. LDAP, Shibboleth. Well, if you tie into your main university system, then you don't, you don't have to worry about WordPress's you know, user habits. You just make sure they're done well through your, your centralized auth system at the university. That said, uh, WordPress has also put a lot of things in recently to force better passwords and all the kinds of user ads. So that's one. Two, um, second most common reason, and this is a genuine problem, is third-party plugin vulnerabilities. Yeah. So here's the thing. One of the big advantages of WordPress is the amazing amount of free functionality out there. But you know what? Anybody can write this stuff. Mm -hmm. no and they do. <laughs> they do, right. It's where a lot of people learn. And there's no guarantee that they were aware of uh, security best practices or that they paid attention to accessibility, another big complaint, that, that these are not accessible, among a, a variety of things. You know, like, we, we have an internal mantra, and, and, and maybe it's a little risque, uh, we, we call it practice safe plugin. <laughs> uh, you know, be careful what you put into your site or you could get sick. I um, like that. And, and so, you know, for us, it's, this is why I strongly encourage universities, if you have an IT group or somebody that's got to sell the time, please make a vetted plugins list. Heck, I would love to see WP Campus and the community start to create a vetted list itself. That would Not be cool. Because it's vetted, it's perfect, but at least if enough of us has looked at it and said, yeah, this is a reputable plugin writer, this is a decent thing. We've looked at it recently. Right. Uh, and, and a lot of universities do maintain those lists. It's, it's another question in here somewhere. Right, right. And, and that's something I actually want to talk about. So in the, in the survey, it's a pretty even split. It's something like 50-something to 40-something of do maintain that list and don't maintain that list. Right. And I'm wondering, like, what is the impediment that's keeping people from doing that? Is that just a time thing or, like, you know, I mean, it is, it is hard to review if you've got... Thirty or forty plugins. Yeah. Wait, and and here's the interesting thing. So we ask people, hey, out of curiosity, how many people in your organization have WordPress development skills mm -hmm. of any varying degree? And the most common answer was one to two. 
Hmm. Well, if you're the only person, you don't need a vetted list. <laughs> right. <laughs> you are the vetted list. And but you still want to have people. access to a vetted list. Like, I mean, it's definitely right. one of the things that we get asked the most is, uh, just among other developers on campus, hey, I'm looking for a tool that does X. Do you know of any that's good, that's solid, that you've used, that isn't going to like bust my stuff? Yeah, so I would love to see WP Campus try and pull some of that together. It's yeah. a big project. It would be hard to keep up with, but it's worth talking about. Yeah, so I mean, safe plugins a huge part of security. Um, and then the last one to me is hosting, you yep. know, and, and updating your, your core system. Like, most WordPress versions that get hacked are old. They haven't been updated in a long time. Or they're sitting on, and I, and I like, I'm not pointing fingers, but they're sitting on a cheap shared server where even if you are doing everything perfect, if you're in the cheapest shared environment and a host that's not taking care of business and somebody else has an ancient site running that gets infected, it can affect you. And so usually I tell people, hey, if you're hosting securely with a good partner or doing it yourself correctly, and you're auditing any code before it goes on your site, whether that's plugins, themes, or whatever, actually you're running a pretty secure system. The odds of you having problems are very low. Um, but those are important parts of, to be fair, that's an important part of a good development stack on any platform. Yeah. Um, but especially so in our case. So you've got, uh, you know, the big misnomers, you've got security, you've got... Um, the whole blogging platform, and then you've got scaling. And scaling is another one like, well, but it, WordPress is for little sites. And, and we're like, well, no, not really. Uh, I mean, time I got a couple thousand sites that beg to differ. Yeah, and, and even in our survey, so we asked people, we said, hey, can we ask, like, what's the most number of word, like, we asked both traffic. So a lot of times for us, when we talk scaling, there's two degrees, right? There's vertical, which is number, like, just amount of traffic. Millions of users, thousands of users. How many are we talking here per month? And then there's width, which is number of sites. Mm -hmm. Pages, um, sure. Yeah, so it's it's not, you know, just like how much stuff are you managing out there? And, and there's some really, really big groups of WordPress sites in academia. It's amazing. Um, like, when I look here, we've got, uh, good Lord, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do love to, to talk here in academia and share our opinions on things. Yeah, well over 10% of the respondents have over 500 sites. Yeah. We've got three respondents with five to 10,000 sites, and we have four respondents with over 10,000 sites that they're managing for campus. I mean, this is enormous um, of wide variety. Um, We've got 21. We've got 21 respondents with over 10,000 users. So if you think of just number of people, um, and then the that's page views. Here we go. Unique users and page views. So I don't know if you guys notice or you both notice this. Out of curiosity, if you had to guess, what do you think is the most number? of unique users, not page views, not individual people showing up sites on our survey. Unless you peaked, at which point I, I don't remember that question. There's how many, there's like 70 pages worth of responses. Yeah, good, exactly, perfect. So, uh, yes, what do you think the biggest site respondents, most monthly unique users? Uh, let's say 20,000. Okay. I'm, I'm going to go up. I'm going to say 50,000. All right. You guys are so small time. <laughs> we had, starting where you're at, so 10 to 50,000 uniques a month, 54 respondents. 50 to 100,000 uniques a month, 16 respondents. 100 to 500,000 uniques, 34 respondents. 500 to a million uniques, 5. A million to 5 million, 5. 5 to 10 million, 21. Wow, that's a lot. 25 million unique visitors a month, 11, and over 25 million uniques, two. You know, so, yeah, I forget how many main, like, the sites that we work on at NC State aren't the homepage, and I right. bet the homepage has that. And there are sites, yeah, a lot of sites that use WordPress with their homepage now. There so. are 
major universities who are using it as their home, like their, their pillar property. Well, that definitely shoots in the face, whatever idea there was that this doesn't scale, right? I mean, right. that's your stat right there. Right. So you that look at that, like, yeah, we, we, yeah, we got 25 million unique visitors yeah. on our website. You're like, yeah, people swinging by. Yeah. It's crazy. They might buy something. Sometimes they might read an article. You know, <laughs> it's like so see what's it, going on. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, so I mean, when we talk about scale, like in academia or outside, there is so much proof of both width and height of scale, both in the numbers from our survey, but in 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 anecdotal stories. So that kind of leads into another thing that I want to talk about, um, which is. Uh, Early on in the survey, you asked how people were using WordPress, right? And there are a lot of people who are using it for the core campus websites, for the university homepage, things like that. But uh, there is also a sharp drop-off for some of the more specialty use cases, uh, you know, LMSs, academic catalogs, uh, academic publications, which that one really surprised me because, like, a journal, it seems like a journal would be a perfect fit for WordPress. So I, I wonder, like, What's the deal with that? You know, why is is this is this a thing that they're just better specialty focused applications, or is it that we're still catching up in the WordPress world with these other narrow focuses? So I, I'm going to give you two entirely different answers because I learned something about writing a survey doing this survey. <laughs> so, so we have that that first question that you mentioned, question six, which is where is WordPress currently used on your campus? Right? And we have a giant list of like, oh, it could be in digital signage or my events calendar. And so, for example, I have one thing that says, hey, you use it for your primary or central events calendar. Right? That was one of the possible options for that. Mm -hmm. And um, let me find that. 22% of people said, yeah, we use it to run our primary events calendar. Problem is, I put primary in there not thinking about it. Like, I put main or primary. Mm -hmm. Turns out we have a question further down, question number 29, that says, hey, out of curiosity, if you're using WordPress to manage calendars or events, which one, which plugin are you using? To which 258 campuses picked one. <laughs> so we've got 108 people in the first question who are like, yeah, we use events. But because I use the word main, there are a lot of people, apparently 150 of them were like, well, it's not our main events calendar, so I guess I won't check it. Um, same problem with the LMS, it turned out. So uh, the LMS in question six had 120, uh, oh, 54 responses. 11% of people were like, yep, we use an LMS on our campus using WordPress. And then in question 30, we're like, hey, out of curiosity, which LMS are you guys using on campus for WordPress LMS? Here's a list of the big popular ones. 120 people responded and picked one of those. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I'm learning to, to be more careful in the wording that we choose. So, I mean, on one side, you got 24.7% of respondents who actually use a WordPress LMS. You've got 53% who are powering event management in some shape or another, whether it's calendar, tickets, you name it. Um, that's one. So one answer is, you know, that is only as good as the way you frame it. And if you just miss the mark a little bit, you get very different answers. So when we do this again next year. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning. Um, separately from that, I think there is a natural evolution when people move into a platform. Now, with WordPress in particular, oftentimes WordPress snuck onto your campus most likely because somebody needed a blog some point in the last 10 years. That's most likely how it got in at some point. Um, at some point later, most likely some faculty member, content marketing person, student, somebody who actually enters content came in and like, could you please just make this WordPress because I know how to use that and I want to deal with it. And they managed to convince the developer to do their site in WordPress. That, that's the most common path we've seen. It usually WordPress historically makes its way bottom-up, not top-down. That's mm -hmm. most of the way we've seen it make its way on the campus. So it comes in, and some small group, the content creators convince their technical team to just do WordPress because they know how to use it and it's easier. Um, 
And then as it gets more and more adoption, as there's more technical skill on campus, who has experience with it, people start just picking up new problems. And as these problems wander in, people look at it, and the knowledge and awareness goes like, well, I could use WordPress to do that. And so suddenly another new problem sort of falls into the WordPress ecosystem. And, and in that spectrum, there are people like us who get hired to be bleeding edge. I mean, most people wouldn't have considered WordPress a digital signage solution. In fact, we didn't until we were working for a customer who was about to pay an unbelievable amount of money for a private digital signage solution where I was like, hey, out of curiosity, can I have like, can I have a month and 10 grand to run an experiment before you spend millions? And I'll get like a Google Chrome stick. Yeah, seriously, I was just thinking that too. Pop it into a TV and like power. And at this point today, they have over 800 restaurants on campuses powering their entire digital signage solution on a small WordPress solution and Chrome sticks that we build. I mean, to the point where it's at Duke, it's at Google. Like these are these are like you know campus restaurant providers that we were supporting. Um, so you never know. Like it starts and then it sort of meanders and becomes more and more application based. So my expectation is, as comfort and skill level grows on campus with WordPress, you're going to see a lot more LMS usage. You're going to see a lot more digital signage. You're going to see things you. You're going to see a lot more e-commerce. Well, I think it's comfort and skill and ideas because, like, we are working on a solution like that for Diamond for us too, but not necessarily in WordPress. But the you know, as soon as somebody says something like that, and you're thinking, "Hey, I have that problem too," you know, how many right. people will listen to this and say, "Oh, wait a second, I didn't think about that. I could totally use this for X or Y." Right. And a lot of times, case studies become yeah. play a huge role because you got to go in. You're like, "Well, but look, this peer of ours is doing it this way, and they're happy to talk to us about it." Yeah, they'll tell us how they did it, and this is a cheaper solution, and we can use it. You know, if we get this working, we can also do it over here. Yeah, there's a million reasons why this is uh, very scalable. Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting because you never know where you're going to end up. Whether it's it's HR job management or um, good, there's another idea. Yeah, another one of our projects. Great. It's probably the next project. You know, we're working with uh, the Conroe School District. So it's a school district in Texas, about 63 schools. And you know, when you're managing 63 schools and have a lot of common code to share, like there's a lot of problems you can tackle. So right now, we're tackling cafeteria management across 63 schools. So the food planning people are like, well, how do I deal with getting the parents? Like, So the parent just needs to know, do I want to bring a bag lunch or buy school lunch this week? You know, it turns out that was a really hard problem for them to resolve cheaply across this kind of scale. Um, so, you know, it's interesting. And I'm guessing uh, some of those some of those uh, use cases are going to show up in your showcase presentation in Sarasota. Is that the plan? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I really. This is your chance to uh, promote yourself. No, this is good uh, because I, I actually have a request. Uh, hopefully, this will be out in plenty of time for people to watch it. If you have a really interesting use case, a problem that you're solving with WordPress, I would love more good case studies. So I'm putting together a talk at, at WP Campus Conference. There'll be a few hundred academic uh, technicians there, people who are powering websites for higher education. And I've been given an hour to give really interesting case studies to bend the mind. And I've got lots of them. But the more that I can get that are interesting, the things I never imagined the better. How are ways that you're reaching students in ways that haven't happened? Things that are sort of organizational institutional workflow. Like I was just talking to University of Mary Washington and they were saying, God, one of the things we really want to solve is scheduling for faculty hours and counseling. Like if we just find a better booking sort of counseling management so people can sort of plan and this is like and then, and these are great. Like these are like okay. So you're working on that in WordPress. Why WordPress? And we can talk about it and give great case studies. So uh, if you're looking for inspiration, I have a lot of it uh, tied to. Brian, I have a feeling we're going to be interviewing Shane for another one of these podcasts soon. Yeah. <laughs>
Um, but yeah, if, if you're listening, please reach out to me. I'm at the WP Campus uh, Slack group. It's a really easy way to do it. If you're not on the Slack group, go join it. There's like hundreds of us in there. Yeah, it has been like such a great resource. Um, and if not, you can email me at shane at tri.be. So it's the word tribe with a dot between the I and B. All right. So uh, I guess I don't have to talk about the upcoming conference at the end of the podcast. <laughs> oh, no, you should talk about it at the end, like, you know, a couple times. Yeah, yeah. Come join us. Um, so I'd like to shift gears just for a minute and talk about something we haven't really talked about, um, which is something Jen noticed when we were talking about this, uh, getting ready for the podcast, and that's... Uh, let me scroll down the page to find where it was. 77% of respondents said they were either in the middle of a redesign or had just launched a new website in the last year or a new design, which is mind-blowing. I mean, I we have, too, and it's... It's not mind-blowing. I can explain exactly why it's happened, if you're interested. Yeah, yeah. we are. <laughs> There's a chance I'm wrong, but I don't think so, because I make my money on this trend. Um, 2008 was a tough year for everybody. But it really messed with higher ed. <laughs> it screwed with budgets in a way that took years for them to recover. Mm -hmm. And so pretty much all the aspirations and technical forward motion screeched to a grounding halt in 2008 across higher ed in the U.S. You mean just because of budgets? Yeah. Like everybody, everybody, recession, everybody lost all their money, government recession, stopped paying for things. All the budgets froze. They were trying, unlike, unlike, uh, as, as harsh it is to say it, in, in, in industry, when that happens, you lay off a third of your workforce and the other two-thirds work just as hard, but they still have budgets to work with. Don't worry. We laid a bunch of people off, too. So and, and yeah, it, 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 The cut's not as harsh, and so in order to rephrase people, they they hold the projects. And so what we saw was nobody redesigned for like five years. The number of redesigns between 2008 and 2012 were just bare-bone minimal. Just didn't happen that much. If it happened, it was very careful. Um, about 2012, the bigger universities with budgets got their projects rolling. Took them a year or two to sort of get that going and around 2014-2015, we saw just a flood of Tier 1 high-quality redesigns hit the market, at which point everybody's like, oh, my God, I can't wait any longer. This has been seven years. Or, you know, and then there were other things that really triggered it. You know, you, you we were talking about SEO and the importance, but when Google started penalizing everybody yep. for if you're not responsive, we're going to ding you hard. Mm -hmm. And if you're not like, HTTPS, secure, yeah. Mm -hmm. and so essentially, like accessibility is another one of those that popped up again in a just a brutal way, in a way that everybody was like, "Wow, I guess we really need to revisit things." And so these were some of the drivers where, over the last year and a half, probably for another year or two, we see this just enormous wave of redesigns happening in higher ed, which I think will slow down and end at that point as as a colossal wave, and we'll hopefully move back to a more healthy, regular pattern. So you think we'll have this this trough then in like a year, year and a half? Because what, what would you say? A, a redesign would would naturally take place, what, every, what's healthy? Three, four, well, five I mean, years? There's, it depends on the industry. So for me, for higher ed, I call it four years. Okay. And here's why. You, you got basically a whole new cohort about every four years. That's about the maximum length that you see that we can, you know, that both the industry and students can tolerate. Personally, I, I once, think once during the undergraduate years they have to get a new website. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but, but I have a very different philosophy on that personally. And so there's two things. First of all, one. Over there. Somebody is apparently going to be profiled on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, Everyone, this is a wish of mine, although I see it a lot. I'm slowly starting to see a transition from this idea of build it, launch it, neglect it, which is very much the traditional approach to website. We will do this huge two-year big committee. Everybody weighs in, and by the time you get it launched, you're like, don't touch it, because everybody agrees. 
<laughs> and um, what we're starting to see, and I'd really like to see this go much further in academia, is this idea that our website is a living, breathing, and evolving organism. It is something that we maintain, we feed, we cater. In the same way that when you have kids, it is very reasonable to wash them, bathe them, trim their nails, and feed them on a regular basis so they don't end up looking like hairy beasts by the time they're four. I would highly advise websites to be treated in the same way. And that means for things like as technology evolves, continue to evolve your stack, from that security discussion we had earlier, maintenance, but not just maintenance like update, update, but thoughtful things like let's look at our analytics and see what works. Let's survey our users and see what's working and then make consistent small tweaks rather than big tweaks. Like one of the things I found really kind of hopeful is we ask people, hey, how often do you do significant updates to your site? Not little maintenance updates, but significant ones. Let me find the answer to that. Give me one second and I'll give you the exact numbers. Uh, auto updates, performance, sorry, one second, I'm getting there. Maintenance, manage your projects. There you go. How often does your team make significant updates on your site or network? Um, over 60% are doing it multiple times a year. 20% said constantly. We are constantly tweaking on our platform. 40% said, hey, multiple times an academic year, we are in there making major changes. Another 30% said about once an academic year. So realistically, out of the out of 364 campuses answered this question, only 15% were doing it less than once an academic year, which I think is fantastic. That is much healthier. That's good news. Yeah. Key tool. Yeah. And then I like that. 4% of people were honest enough to say it could be six plus years after the shame has properly said it. <laughs> Which, by the way, was uh, an excellent response option. That's <laughs> all. Um, so. Yeah, and I, I know as you were talking about those uh, those big committee meetings, Jen was having some flashbacks to uh, <laughs> some of oh. our projects. So, you know, if. if it, it could just be that it takes a year or two to get up to the point of starting to plan the new site. So possibly, really, we should say we're aiming for every four years for a redesign, but then add in the extra 16 to 18 months of talking about it first. Right. And I, I think there's a world of tools that are evolving right now that as, so, so we have this, so we have this interesting question that's like, hey, out of curiosity, who is doing your web work? Like, is this IT teams, marketing teams? internal department teams, like, you know, does, does each department have their own special team? Are you hiring agency partners? And it was all over the place. Like, there was no, like, uh, out of the 373 people who replied to this question in particular, 45% come from internal IT team, 31% a marketing team, 24% uh, internal department, 18% agency, 10% a solo freelancer, and another 13% that they specified and I hadn't read what's in there. That one was fascinating to me too, because I, I remember I did the, uh, I went to Hyatt Web a couple years ago and did the professional uh, leadership section um, of the extra training that they have, and it was really insightful to see that the people that were in there, um, the where they came from, like how many of them were from IT, how many of them were from marketing, and that was probably 90% was from one or the other, and then there were a few other folks who were departmental or something like that from really large institutions, but it seems that the bulk of, of web development is either in marketing or IT, and the perspective that you get from those two audiences is so diverse but also fascinating. So it's definitely one of those. You mentioned marketing IT, but there's you use those words, and what you miss also is the fact that some of these are central, right? And some of these are, are organizationally localized, and that yeah. changes everything too. Totally different 
uh, purview, different set of problems. Yeah, the politics within um, you know higher education are, are fascinating anyway, but even the microcosm of how it impacts the web for your campus uh, right. is very detailed and really very consistent uh, through different universities, um, sure. depending on where they wind up. So it, it, there are common patterns, but you know it's because one of the things working with a lot of different universities. I, it is inevitable that at some point somebody will sit me down and be like, there's got to be an ideal governance model. Please, like, there's got to be a way that this works out. What is it? And, and my Somebody answer, needs to publish it for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, the answer, I, I will say, honestly, is like, maybe there is, but the fact is all of you operate so differently. I mean, and this is true, like, this is, like, as, a, as sort of a paradigm, uh, I, where I live, we have a lot of little cities. Okay, these small, like, 10,000-person cities. Now, nobody would consider them cities. Like, I, I'm in the Bay Area. Like, there's tons of us here. There's millions of people packed. But we're all broken in these tiny little fiefdoms. And each of them runs differently. So I live in the city of Capitola. Capitola does not have its own water district. We share water districts. Our garbage is run by somebody else. But I have a rental property in Santa Cruz, which is 10 minutes from my house, which is a different city that has not only its own water district, its own garbage system, um, and it's like like my experience dealing with services in these two different cities, they look nothing alike in each other, even it's though they're two minutes apart. Yeah. And that's, that's high rank for you. Yes, um, that was a good yeah. analogy, a safe analogy. <laughs> Uh, I, I was going to say, I think, I think you just described our campus and not, uh, <laughs> not any municipalities because that's 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 very familiar. <laughs> I think we still get our water from all the same places, but even that I'm not sure. So. <laughs> maybe not. You know, yeah. so, um, it, it's interesting. So for us, like organizationally, when we work, I've worked with every single permutation you can think of, and ultimately, what it really comes down to, I hate to say it, it has far less to do with your governance model and far more to do with did we find a passionate excited, thoughtful person to work with who has the skill to manage the people around them to get everybody to make a decision. The, the model sometimes gets in the way or helps, but at the end of the day, I'm looking for a great stakeholder and leader. Uh, and it doesn't matter what model shoved around them. If I've got the right person, it goes wonderfully. And if I've got the wrong person, even the best model on earth, it's this mess. is going to be a rough ride. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's all about building those relationships too. I mean, uh, for those who stay in higher education, and there's a lot of us over time, it's great if you can make those connections and keep them for the long term, because because that'll help too. But um, but yeah, there's always other issues involved, and there's always you know changes of the guard in terms of the CIO or the communications groups or you know who's in charge of the, the various right. units and how things get run. So. Yeah, and, and it th I mean, that bleeds over into, like, we asked one of the question five. It was like, out of curiosity, how, expect, how accepted is WordPress on your campus? You know, is it, you know, 40% people said, it's our primary CMS. Now, to be fair, again, this is surveying the WordPress community. This is a completely biased <laughs> survey that's true. on WordPress from WordPress people. So don't be like, well, that's not representative. It is. It's representative. Of people using WordPress, forty percent right. of them are using are, WordPress. Are, are seeing <laughs> WordPress as the primary CMS? Another thirty-six percent were like, "Well, it's one of our options." And we also asked, "Hey, if it's one of those options, what are the options?" Well, the the second and third winners, um, Drupal came in strongly in second. SharePoint. <laughs> For yeah. all of you on SharePoint, can I encourage you? I'm really hoping those are the, the modern ones, era. That, yeah, those are the ones that are under redesigns right now and hoping to launch soon. Let's go with that. Perhaps. Uh, not to say that it's not a, a fine, you know, like internet. It's just not a solution for your public website. Pretty, pretty please. Um, so those are the two winners. And then after that, you know, there's there's some Joomla, um, and then there's still a fair amount of proprietary custom builds. You know, 11% are still on homebrew um, of some kind. And then you've got all the sort of, um, you know, Adobe Experience Managers, you know, Hannon Hill Cascade Server, Omni Updates, Sitecore, the, the sort of commercial vendors that make up another about 8 
10% of kind of the, the rest of the tools. So it's, but what's kind of interesting to me, we were talking about like the impact of governance. Um, so we, we've got 40% that it's primarily approved, 36% who are using WordPress as one of many options. You got 20% who's like, so our school unit, library, whatever, our organization uses WordPress, but the campus has a completely different CMS that central communications is pushing. Yeah. Which sort of sucks. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of, I get it, because it's you know, on one side, you, as an organization, like you need room for innovation. You need room to try new things. On the other hand, if you've got a central group who's just trying their doggone best to, to maintain security across campus, to, to make it easier for people. On the other hand, most of the time, we see why do people go rogue. That's what I call it. Um, and they go rogue because either your core team is too busy. Like, honestly, there's just more requests than those people could ever handle in their entire lifetime. And until the WordPress, until the university quadruples its budget and tackles way more staff on, people are going to do what they need to do to get their stuff done. Right. And so a lot of times, you know, that's 20% of people. Now, to be fair, do you think 40% of these people had WordPress as their central system to start? No, of course not. It started because some department or group went rogue, did WordPress, loved it so much, they bragged about it to everybody else. It eventually spread, and it hit critical mass. Right, and, and actually, um, a few months ago, so within NC State is part of the broader UNC system and a few months ago one of our partner campuses I guess you'd call them uh, contacted us basically with that was like we started using WordPress for the small narrow focus and we've been using this proprietary CMS that we built at home and we're ready to make the switch and you know how, how did you do it right and it's actually there's something really exciting about that, you know, starting from scratch and like figuring out like, you know, if if I was building it, if I was using WordPress from from nothing and redoing everything instead of the sort of organic process that we've gone through, what kind of recommendations would I make? And it's really, it's, you know, it's an interesting thought exercise that I'd recommend for everybody to think like, how, like, what am I doing here and what does make sense? Because it's, it's really, it's, uh, I guess, it's easy to forget that people have been doing things differently. <laughs> and it's easy to forget, like, like how, uh, I don't know, I'm losing my train of thought here. It's just, <laughs> I'm going to let Jen take over. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, half the time, the reason that people do something else is because they can. On our campus, we give them lots of options, and then they just, like, take it and run with it. They're like, hey, wow, I can do this other thing? Well, I'm gonna. So there you go. And, um, you know, like you say, it's a, probably a, a symptom of higher education where we like to, you know, we like open source, we like new ideas, we like to encourage people to try new things, which is fantastic. But yeah, at some point there's, uh, there's maybe too many options and people may not always have enough information to make the best decision for, for what's good for them. So that's certainly something we struggle with. So, uh, we've been talking for a little while, and uh, <laughs> Shane has another meeting coming up, so um, I guess we should maybe wrap up with one last question. Uh, based on the results of the survey, based on what we've talked about today, what do you see in the future? What do you see as like the role of WP Campus as an organization and moving forward being this effective facilitator for uh, WordPress and higher ed. Sure. Um, we stumped Shane with these deep questions. No, no. <laughs> try like there are so many potential answers to this question that are all good, <laughs> but I need to respect the fact that I only have a few minutes. <laughs> Started um, with this one. Yeah, sorry. So I'm trying to figure out which which direction. We can open through. next episode with this if you want. <laughs> yeah, well, so there's a lot of things, and some of them we've mentioned. I I see the birth of genuine marketing in higher ed right now. Like I really think it's it's content strategy, not as something like I'm going to call a few journalists and put out some PR things and so, but I'm going to create 
a living, robust conversation with my users through social, through uh, a mixture of timely and evergreen content. Um, and a lot of the tools that I'm starting to use for large, I'll call them commercial projects, you know, for, for big commercial brands, I don't see in higher ed yet, but I predict you'll see them. So things like uh, just really thoughtful A-B testing and multivariate testing. Really trying to pick a real thing that you want to have happen. Increase user engagement here. I want more applications. I want people to fill out their responses to surveys. I don't care whatever it is, but really starting to thoughtfully test about how to affect behavior in the way that the organization wants. I don't see that spread across higher ed yet. I really hope that it will. I expect that it will. And I think a lot of what it will do is, is people become more comfortable with these platforms and tools. As teams start getting, content teams start existing that I think are being birthed. Because at the last conference I was at, I was at, uh, um, oh, I just forgot. I'm in this conference. Uh, it'll come back to me in a second. One of the higher ed tech conferences uh, last year in November. Uh, but I was there, and it was the first time I started hearing people really talking about content, like really talking about narrative and content. And to me, the next step in that tech-wise are these tools and personalization tools. So we're starting to see things like uh, Google 360, uh, where Optimize is evolving to uh, Adobe Target. So maybe able to personalize. So if somebody lands on your school, we know that it could be an existing student, a prospective student, a faculty member, a journalist. Like it could come from any part of the world. Well, they're not looking for the same thing, so stop serving them the same site. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a direction I see us going. That's not a direction I see us going in two months. It's the direction I see us going in five years. Um, just because higher ed is not has at times higher ed has been cutting edge, but as far as historically, website primary websites is not where that's been. Um, so that's one. Two, on that same note of sort of constantly evolving, like, like building website release cycles that are weekly, monthly, that are constantly pushing changes that are not just like updates, but, but are evolutionary changes as we consistently adapt to what the marketplace is doing. Um, I think, again, this is pure opinion. Um, but I think higher ed is coming under fire right now. I mean, I've got the cover of the latest consumer reports that says, I went to college and it ruined my life. Now, inflammatory, but when the consumer reports puts that on the cover and it comes back to student loans, I think student loan scandal, guys, is going to change the face of your world. Um, and given that, it's going to be interesting to see how that trickles into sites. But I think what's going to happen, if I had to guess, is that universities are going to have to justify themselves. They're going to have to do a better job selling what they're what they're selling what yes. they're selling. Yeah, that's right. You're about to have to learn how to sell mm -hmm. in a way you never had to. Like university have sat on their ivory tower for a hundred years, taking advantage of the fact that if you go to university, you will come out, make more money, and have a better life. Well, the fact is that's still true. The gap's even bigger. According to the last article I read, it was a 70% difference in lifetime earning. The value's there. But you can't just assume people know that anymore. Now, you're, if you're going to put them into that kind of debt as a community backlash, there's a lot of work that's going to start coming. And a big channel for that communication is the web. online presence. Yep. So those are two. Uh, I can keep going all day. <laughs> well, Honestly, I think, the I think just, results were so fascinating. I feel like we could talk about survey stuff for for the rest of the year, you know, on this thing, and just keep going. There's tons of questions. The survey was fantastic, Shane. I, I for one, really appreciate you doing that, and I love those results. So. Yeah, and as as people know, next step, um, it's entirely because I was in Japan the last week and a half, but you we're going to bundle up these survey results, make them available, the data set anonymously available to anybody who responded. So if you want to take it, play with it, answer your own questions with it. Uh, my team's working on a report right now that I, if I could track, it'd be really helpful. Um, so, Is that me? Uh, <laughs> just maybe. Uh, we're, we're working on a report that we'll build that sort of takes 
some of the high-level ahas out of this, but we like we barely touched. I asked questions from, hey, what kind of project management strategies are you using to run your team? What kind of like there were some really neat responses. Yeah. It's like 60% of people are using version control, which terrifies me for the other 40%. <laughs> um, as long as you have server backups, you know, <laughs> it's, it's okay maybe. But, uh, so there's, yeah, there's, there's a, a lot of meat on it. There's a huge variation. I mean, in higher education, like we've said, there's right. they're all different, but there's also a huge level in how people are, are implementing this, this. So I can't wait to hear, too, what you guys see at WP Campus. Don't. At the conference, I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'll be up. All right. Well, on that note, uh, it is good to remind everybody that WP Campus is holding its inaugural conference July 15th and 16th in Sarasota, Florida. Ticket sales close on July 7th or until they sell out. So uh, if you haven't already bought your ticket, go do that. Um, Shane will be there presenting a higher ed WordPress showcase. I'll be there listening to Shane and everybody else, and there are going to be a ton of other great talks, so uh, you should be there. Uh, you can follow at WPCampusOrg on Twitter for news and updates about this podcast, about the conference, about everything WP Campus related, and if you have an idea for a podcast, if there's something Shane said that you want to hear more about, or if there's something we didn't talk about that you want to talk about, something like that, tweet at WPCampusOrg and uh, give us ideas for the show. Or you can also hop onto Slack. There's a digital media channel, and we'd love to get feedback on the next topic. Yep, absolutely. So, these uh, studies, please reach out to me. I'd really like to hear them, so I can add them to my talk. You can tweet at me at JustLikeAir, or uh, hit me up by email or by chain at tri.be. All right, and uh, oh, and my I phone is ringing. <laughs> We're done. That's a sign. So that that's it. Um, hang on, let me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Somebody so, else is about to get a profile. <laughs> so uh, on that note, um, thank you everybody for listening. Tune in next month, uh, and uh, go have fun with WordPress. <laughs>